0: Did you know stores offering upsells increase their average order value by 10 to 30% on average? Every Shopify store with more than one product should have an upsell strategy. My go-to app for running those upsells is Bold Upsell. It is the number one rated and most review upsell app on Shopify. I use it for my clients because it supports true upsells. Did you know there's a difference? A true upsell is where the upsell offer replaces the item being added to cart. For example, you're buying a one-pound bag of coffee, the store offers you a two-pound bag for just $10 more. You accept it, the two-pound bag replaces the one-pound bag in your cart. That's an upsell. A cross is like an accessory. It gets added to the cart in addition. So if I offered you a coffee mug to go with your coffee beans, that's a cross-sell. This matters because a true upsell typically converts 20 times better than a cross-sell. Now it gets better here. Bold upsell also supports funnel offers. So let's say a customer says no to that two-pound coffee bag. Bold can then offer them a different upsell like a one and a half pound bag. Maybe they say yes to that. So then we can offer them the coffee mug as well. You'd see where this can radically increase your average order value. If you're not sure which products to upsell though, I have a solution. When you install Bold Brain for free, it works with upsell to create the highest converting upsells ever through machine learning. It's upselling on autopilot. We talked about it back in episode 151. Now, as an unofficial Shopify podcast listener, Bold is offering you their upsell app free for 60 days. Oh my gosh, 60 days. To get this special offer, go to Kurtelster.comslash bold, and you'll be able to install it from there. That's Kurtelster.comslash bold. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO. The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get, And more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily. And it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit, plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them. They are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever when you sign up at seomanager.com That's unofficial. SEO Dot com, Slash Unofficial. Today, on the Unofficial Shopify Podcast, we are talking to the co founder of Dollar Beard Club. Alex Brown, who has been launching e-commerce companies for over 5 years starting with multiple successful crowdfunding campaigns like Coolbox, which you may recognize from ABC's Shark Tank, Dollar Beard Club hit 10 million in their first year with no performance marketing or affiliate help and has gone on to become a scalable and globally known brand with over 300 million video views. But here's where it gets interesting. Since exiting Beard Club, Alex has been advising companies and speaking around the world on branding and content marketing. He currently runs the first e-commerce brand accelerator program for brands on pace to do eight or more figures. That is a lot of figures. Now, what's interesting about Alex is he has some atypical views on branding and stories and their absolute importance to growing. This is going to be a good episode. We're going to walk through his journey and then pick his brain on what goes into a successful brand. Alex, thank you for joining us.
1: It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Oh no! The the pleasure is all mine because I this is my continuing education. I'm going to pick your brain, take notes, and then get all of the value out of you, Mister Alex. How did you how did you get your start? Where'd you come from? Who are you? What's going on here?
1: <laughs> well, like many children, I was born, um, and then fast forward about 25 years. Um, I'm actually from close to Toronto is the simplest way of saying it, just north of Toronto. And uh, I was introduced to my former business partner in Beard Club and a number of ventures, Chris, through a mutual friend. And he was living in California at the time. And uh, so I went and visited him. He had all these kind of like amazing little projects on the go and just was super passionate about ideas and launching businesses. And I was really in the crowdfunding space at the time. So I didn't even know really what crowdfunding was at the time. But um, saw that he had this idea, sold a bunch of products, and then I kind of came on board and helped him figure out how to fulfill them and how to like put together sort of like the follow-up campaigns and stuff like that. He's a really amazing sort of visionary person and highly creative person. And I'm really good at at kind of being a hybrid of creativity but then taking that and breaking it into 10 steps. So we just like hit it off and worked really well together. Um, You know, got a work visa, moved to California very quickly. And just kind of dove into the world of e-commerce sort of through the lens initially of crowdfunding and launch campaigns and We kind of created this formula over the course of doing it a couple times with a couple different products um, And you know doing this sort of big launch campaign and then fulfilling the products and deciding if we wanted to actually pursue the business or not most of that most of the time the answer was no Uh, But we did actually kind of like I said find this knack and system for doing really great creative work and branding and messaging and uh positioning and everything like that so like most people when they're looking to create some side income and and fund the dream we started an agency and we were helping other people do that sort of stuff and tap into our expertise and our network um and it was going fairly well it was still like super tight and we were there's a point where we were airbnbing our rooms and kind of sleeping in the garage or in the backyard to keep the dream alive which Mm. is kind of fun looking back on at the time it really sucked um (laughs) But, you know, we, we launched another product at that time called Coolbox, and that did really well. It, uh you know, it did half a million dollars in our campaign, and then we went to Shark Tank with it. I wasn't really good on camera at that time, so it was my, my business partner, Chris, and one of our other partners that went on. And that just really exploded our credibility and our network and confidence and all these things. Um, it was still a very technical product, and extremely expensive one. The unit economics just weren't there for it to be a long-term project, but uh, it's, you know, under our control anyway. So we were able to license that product out. We fulfilled all the units, which was like a monstrous project. Um, and at, at the same time, we're developing kind of this idea of doing the Beard Club. And we saw you know, the success Dollar Shave Club it had and all these subscription boxes it had. We at the time were probably a group of go- five guys now. We were all growing massive beards and trying to do out of the box entrepreneurship living and just you know saying no to chemicals and eating super healthy and super clean and organic. And all the the beard products that were out on the market were really sold by boutique shops. So, you know, they'd be $20 for an essential oil, beard oil. And we just thought, you know, we could do a big splash, like a big launch like we've been doing and kind of do this like, you know, subscription service for beard care products and sell them for really affordable prices that made them accessible for everyone to sh- to try, basically. Well, it sounds,
0: there's a lot to unpack there. And it sounds like you have done more than most people would ever dream of. And in an incredibly short time, I have learned two things um, in interviewing entrepreneurs about their journeys. Number one, intelligence takes so many forms. You could, I have found people who could like barely string a sentence together in an email that are just unbelievably successful or are brilliant <laughs> yeah. marketers. Like you can't, certainly you can't judge a book by its cover, especially with entrepreneurship. Um, and number two, the more you learn about a topic the more you discover, you, you learn what you don't know. And early yeah. on, if you go, yeah, I think I know, I think I pretty well know this, that means you don't know nearly enough. You haven't scratched the surface. You don't know what you don't know yet. Okay, so let's back up. I have always loved crowdfunding. It's very attractive to people because it's like, oh, it's an easy money button is the, the dream. Run me through, To you were doing this uh, crowdfunding five years ago. Is crowdfunding still viable today
1: i think that um you know there was kind of a gold rush around it and there still is a a community that loves to support crowdfunding projects but i think it's you know very much it's very much you know engulfed in exactly what you said it's this sort of like get rich quick mentality that i think we're all capable of and guilty of at various points in all of our entrepreneurial journeys same with like you know i want to make a viral video it's it's like cool well I can certainly show you how to create, um, you know, the conditions for that. But is that really a, a business growth strategy for the long term, right? So, I think that crowdfunding is absolutely still relevant. There are a lot of brands that have, you know, an existing following, and especially when we're talking e-commerce, as you and many of the people listening to this know, you know, a lot of cash flow gets tied up in inventory, right? So, if you are creating a physical product, and you have a, you know. A really good handle on how to make that and to do so on a good timeline, you know, it's a great option for you. However, like the, the caveat there is it's, it's just like any other business, right? You need to have a really strong campaign. You need to cut through all of the noise that's out there. And as much as, you know, if you have a really unique product, that's certainly easier. But I can think of all sorts of really cool, unique products, all sorts of amazing supplements that are created by like these brilliant chemists and doctors. And kind of going back to your point as well about you know, the people that you kind of misjudge, like some of the the most brilliant product people don't have a clue how to sell stuff. And some of the people that are incredibly brilliant at selling stuff have the worst products, right? So I think looking to land somewhere in the middle, either, you know, if you're a solopreneur or having a team that's like, you know, or a co-founder that's good with product, if you're good with marketing is an amazing sort of way to, to go about doing that. But Success in crowdfunding is just like success in e-commerce. It's not a case of if you build it, they will come. Um, You very much have to plan and execute and really build like a solid, solid campaign in order to get it funded. And then, you know, again, if you have a solid crowdfunding campaign, great. Like now you have to have a business, right? So if all you're doing is planning for this like launch campaign, and we've done this by the way so i speak as a you know a guilty person but you know if all you want to do is have this solid launch campaign like that's awesome you made a bunch of sales now you need to create a business right so it needs to roll forward it has to be a sustainable plan for how to acquire customers and how to make them really happy to the point where they'll tell other people about it or they'll keep coming and buying and that's like I think anybody that knows anything in e-commerce will tell you that that's the true secret, not just to e-commerce, but to any business, is people that come back and buy again and tell a good story about you to their friends.
0: Oh, absolutely. One great uh, key, key performance indicator for the health of your business is your return customer rate. Yes. It's in your Shopify dashboard. Just look up for the last 90 days or year to date, what's your return customer rate? If it's less than 20%, that's either a missed opportunity or you have a customer service problem, right? Yes. Um, so I I always look at that one and then if uh the other one would be customer lifetime value, right? Absolutely. You can happy customers, returning customers, people who for which you are top of mind buy again and again and you end up with this uh much better this tail on uh, the customer journey.
1: And I would I would just sort of add to that because a lot of people ask me about subscriptions, right? We we have a subscription-based business and um that's like you know, seems to be super attractive, just like crowdfunding, right? Because it's like, cool, it's recurring revenue. Uh, Subscriptions are difficult to really nail. It's all about retention and building that base. But people that aren't in the subscription business also tend not to focus on retention and also tend not to pay attention to the people that are buying from them and reactivating those customers and increasing that uh, lifetime value and getting those reorders. But it is the bread and butter of every business, right? So I think people put too much weight on retention in subscription businesses, uh, and not nearly enough in their own businesses, right? And you know, again, I think you kind of mentioned it, like your product might not be great or your remarketing might not be great, but the people that are buying from you right now are definitely the most important people. And it gets it gets more and more expensive by the hour. There's, I don't even, I'd love to see the stat on this, but it's got to be like you know, a thousand people every hour start a Facebook ad agency or, you know, an e-commerce business, which, you know, it's never been easier. It's great for people that are just getting into this. For the people that are already established, it's a lot harder, right? Because, you know, the the price that you used to pay to acquire a customer is now growing and growing and growing. So you have to be a lot more creative and you have to get those repeat sales, those repeat customers. And that's where the, like the true profit in business in any business really comes, but especially in e-commerce when you're doing all this work and you're carrying this inventory risk. So
0: all right, I want to ask one more question on crowdfunding and then we'll move on briefly. What's the make or break difference between a, a good and bad or a successful and unfunded crowdfunding campaign?
1: Really looking at it as uh, an all hands on deck experience needs to be had. Like, You have to have momentum right out of the gates for your campaign. This is like sort of the the chicken and the egg syndrome with crowdfunding. Say you have a goal of $20,000, right, to to ship out. Nobody wants to be the first person to buy on that and see that they need – that you need to sell $20,000 more, right? So a really important part of any crowdfunding campaign starts before the campaign. And that, you know, in many cases is as simple as like calling up your friends and family and everyone you know and begging them to buy a product. And that experience alone will give you a ton of feedback on how to sell that product through, you know, mass media marketing and stuff like that, social media marketing. So really planning to have momentum right out of the gates and hit that goal right out of the gates is super paramount because then you can get into, you know, talking to bloggers and, um, you know, pitching the media and different things like that. But if you don't plan to have success as soon as possible, Like your, your goal has to be met as soon as humanly possible, in my opinion. And that momentum is what will allow you to do things like get featured in the Kickstarter Indiegogo newsletter, right? Like you, you, you cannot think that it's set it and forget it. You have to like internalize all of your success and know that you're going to hit that goal. And then like the plan, the plan is never to hit that goal. The plan is like, how far can we take this and what can we learn from this campaign in my mind?
0: Hmm. And I've, that jives with what I've heard. Uh, people who have a ton of experience with crowdfunding campaigns say more than once. I've heard crowdfunding is a full time job. If you think it's like set oh, it and forget it, you're done.
1: No, it's like if you have a 30 day campaign, you're working super hard on that.
0: The all right, let's. I don't want to make it entirely about crowdfunding. Let's move forward because you've started to touch on some other things here. Tell me, what is Dollar Beard Club?
1: Right. So we actually, we ran into the Beard Club about two years ago, but started out there. Um, It's really a subscription service for male grooming products focused on facial hair. So it's beard oil and essential oils like mustache wax, shaping balm. um, There's shampoo, conditioner, and then moving into things like supplements that'll help you grow thicker, fuller, stronger hair, which are, by the way, applicable to uh, male, men and females, uh, male males and females. So it works on all hair. Uh, but it's really about like helping people look and feel better, uh, especially focused around beards.
0: And what did the, when did you start that?
1: This was in June of 2015, we launched.
0: And this within 12 months, you hit 10 million. Yes. And what was the average order value. I can't imagine it was very high, which makes this 10 million number all the more extraordinary.
1: Right. And that was, you know, looking at those metrics is what we started to, to really hone in on because we were generating a lot of top line revenue and not realizing that, you know, in the beginning, our acquisition costs were super low, but as they climbed and our organic reach was kind of shrinking, we had to really bump that up and adding products that had a higher ticket value certainly did that. You know, in the beginning, I think we were averaging around $29. And what we kind of did that, allowed us to, which again is pretty good because our products were, you know, a dollar for a starter item all the way up to like $9 for shampoo. And then we started to introduce more expensive products that, you know, like the vitamins. Um, but we did, I think that allowed us to naturally upsell people. We didn't know about after the, you know, one click upsells and stuff like that back then, but we charged a flat fee of three ninety nine dollars for shipping, right? So the way our funnel was people would start with the, you know, the $1 introductory oil And nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, there were a bunch of people that would just buy the $1 oil and pay $4 shipping. Most people would be like, all right, well, let's see what else we can get. Oh, out of like, you know, a $5 balm and an $8 shampoo. And so people would kind of naturally try and split that shipping cost over products, right? And that was kind of a cool natural upsell. And our funnel, the way it was, was like you had to walk through all these different steps in order to check out which was great for uh, bumping that order value, but also really bad for people bouncing away and being like, this is too complicated. I don't even know what beer products are. I'm out. You know? And then creating kits and bundles for you know, people that had never tried it became a really, really great key to increasing that average order value, but also just making it simpler for people who are like, I want to try this, but I don't know what the heck it is. And it was kind of that awareness fight that we were working on in, in the beginning. And there's plenty of people that still don 't know what beard products are or why they should use them right the so it sounds like
0: uh, you were following you had a, a product ladder, so you start yeah. with uh, a one dollar product that 's a very easy thing for people to say yes to, and then you move to and all right, well, did you want to add this four dollar yes. product? did you want to add this nine dollar product yeah and as you add that like series of yeses, it makes it easier and easier yeah and the reason is the initial question. You're, you're building a pattern, that initial question is very easy, and you see exactly the same thing in dating. I use this relationship example all the time. The first question is, can I buy you a drink? The last question is, will you marry me? Right? Yeah. There were a whole <laughs> series of yeses that led up to that point. Yeah. Using your, your crowdfunding experience and all this, this marketing experience with the Beard Club, first, as an astute marketer, how did you validate that idea where you said, all right, this is a thing we want to do?
1: um i definitely i still don't consider myself and, and definitely wouldn't at that time as an astute marketer but i think we were doing some things right but um yeah i mean i think we just looked at what was out there there were a number of people who sort of tried to do like a dollar beard club style thing but we just looked at the marketplace and it were, they were products that we were using and we were frustrated at having to pay 20 dollars for knowing what you know the price was and you know, it was great for us to get our start selling products like that. But you know, again, as, as things got harder to acquire customers, we realized that bigger margins would have came in super handy. But um, yeah, we it was just through looking at what was out there, and just we loved making videos. That was like the fav- our favorite part of what we were doing for clients and doing for our businesses. And like we just had fun with it, right? We're like, this is gonna be awesome. We can do this. We can do this. And there were just endless like ideas of videos and photos and like creative work that we could do that we found super engaging, right? And so we just had this connection with this idea and this business that allowed us to really create uh, a lot of momentum within like the group of us that were working together on it. And then, yeah, just kind of seeing that opportunity and that gap in that marketplace, there was no category king. There were a couple of brands that were maybe doing, you know, 50,000 a month or 100,000 a month in sales, um, but it was very much like the boutique sort of style thing. Um so th- just seeing what the opportunity was and spotting it and then getting really excited about it I think is what allowed us to kind of catapult and just like you know work our butts off and, until we could sort out the the operational issues we were facing
0: the unfair advantage you had and I tell people to always look for their unfair advantage is you had uh, a creative skill set and you were passionate about it and you were able to get excited about this opportunity
1: Definitely that was hugely I mean, the, the reason we were able to build a business and capitalize on this opportunity so quickly was that we were like making rapid fire creative assets and just getting people to share them and, and distributing them widely. And I think I kind of mentioned this before the environment for organic reach on social media then was definitely more favorable. So the timing was just right. Beards were just in, they were on everyone's faces when you looked around and it was just being talked about. There were people sharing all kinds of articles about it. And you know, making fun of hipsters and whatever. So there's just a lot of chatter and all the conditions were right. And we're like, we like, if not us, then who, and if not now, when like, this is the time. And so we just, we went for it. And, uh, you know, it definitely paid off. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't say it was easy by any stretch, but, uh, we just kind of hit the, you know, hit the nail on the head. Hold up.
0: It's safe to say that most of us have been doing more shopping online lately. I know I have. There's just a pile of packages in front of my door. I can't even get the front door open. But if you're an e-commerce brand, that means you might be seeing more first-time customers. But once they've made that first purchase, how do you keep them coming back? That's what Clavio is for. Clavio is the ultimate email and SMS marketing platform for e-commerce brands. It gives you the tools to build your list, send memorable emails, automate critical messages, and more. Way, way more. That's why more than 30,000 e-commerce brands, like Chubby's, Brooklinen and KeySmart, use Klaviyo to build a loyal following. Strong customer relationships mean more repeat sales, enthusiastic word of mouth, and less depending on third-party ads. Now, whether you're launching a new business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo can help you get growing faster. And it's free to get started. Visit klaviyo.com to create your free account. That's k l a v i y o.com. Talk to him. Walk me through that that launch, that brand activation strategy, and your, your content marketing.
1: So, I mean, we were really a video-first kind of growth-focused model for probably the first like two years, really. And we still do a lot of videos, but uh, it kind of teetered off and learned more about performance marketing and stuff. But, you know, initially we were able to generate a decent amount of like kind of email opt-ins and people were kind of waiting for this. Like I said, they're like, where's the beard equivalent to dollar shave club. And so we were able to to get those early adopters who were like, yeah, I mean I would try this out and we did some giveaways and and some free product to kind of generate a bit of an email list. Um, it wasn't nearly as, as big as it probably should have been, but that was kind of a little bit of like early buyer traction was just having a bit of an email list. Funny enough, we didn't really circle back to focusing on email until years later. We just thought it was dead, and uh, it's definitely not. It has a massive return on investment. Uh, Hard lesson learned, because we would have a way bigger email address right now. But um, that was part of it. I think we would made some really strong connections in the world of influencer marketing as well. And a couple of our advisors that we'd met through the Shark Tank process and stuff we're named uh, Dan Fleischman and Brandon Hampton, and they are very influential like, in LA in the influencer scene. They've helped a lot of big influencers build their accounts. They had an agency where they're helping that. So we brought them on board to sort of help us with our audience amplification. So when we created this, like, awesome video and we're ready to launch, we had a bunch of videos. We had this, like, one main launch video. We got them to sort of, like, you know, use their influence to reach out and, and work some good deals and some shout outs. They actually owned a bunch of their own accounts, which created this kind of viral snowball of, you know, here's 500,000 eyeballs that are going to this as soon as it launches. And that kind of spearheaded us into people taking note on Reddit. And when people started talking Hmm. about it on Reddit, um, that catapulted us to being, you know, on product hunt. And then it just started like this barrage of people going, oh, you know, Dollar Beard Club's here. And it was BuzzFeed and Huffington Post and like all these like, you know, these media outlets that we couldn't dream of getting into. And we were doing these crowdfunding projects and we had that mentality of like, if we could just get in a tech crunch, you know, our company would be made. And, you know, it's kind of a, a toxic mentality that I've had at many points in my life, but um, that sort of lottery mentality, like we were getting on these organically and it was just like really incredible. Right. From there, um, we actually had an influencer named Dan Bilzerian who we had a relationship with. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah, so he became you know, our first real investor. At that time, we'd, we'd taken off. I think we had about 15,000 uh, monthly subscribers. This is a few months in, and we needed cash. We kept running out of product, um, and we didn't have that infrastructure in place, right? So he also brought a lot of eyeballs with him, right? So he started posting for us, and that would just bring on a ton of new followers on social media, a ton of sales. Um, so that continued that sort of viral growth pattern of like launching videos and having him involved. And in that uh, also, you know, just like being able to keep up with inventory and invest, start to like invest more in, you know, paid social media advertising was really good for us as well. So that was kind of how the initial viral snowballs took off and just a commitment to creating awesome content again and again and again. Not all of our videos went viral and were awesome. Some of them we'd spend, you know, 100 grand on and had lions and all these exotic animals and really they didn't perform well in terms of sales. Sometimes we would want to have a good time and we just do a joke video for, you know, 1800 bucks and and you know, go shoot it in our backyard and it would bring in a couple hundred thousand dollars, right? So We were just like addicted to trying new things and and having fun with this brand, and that was what allowed us, you know, for those first two years especially to um, to perform well and and to sell a lot of products.
0: What are the with that experience? What are the conditions for virality? It's so hard to engineer viral events and websites and marketing. And I've I've had two viral websites, but I that was I had to launch thirty to get two. What do you think? How do you set yourself up for success, knowing there's no way to guarantee it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of just hit it right on there is that like there is no guarantee. And even if you look at where we're at now as a brand, you know, having I think it's over one point one or one point two million likes on Facebook, you know, for us to put out content to have it seen by people that opted in to see our stuff is even a challenge. Right. So the the atmosphere has certainly changed, I think. You know, virality is obvious, obviously still possible in many different ways. People go viral every day. Manufacturing it is another difficult part, right? I always encourage people to think about the content that they're creating through the lens of like, what is the purpose of this? Is this for to acquire customers? Is this to build our brand? And, you know, what are the metrics of success? And can we put ad spend behind this to get it in front of those people and still be profitable. And like, is this something that can perform well over time, right? So I recommend people kind of take a step back from that, you know, sort of winning the lottery approach and understand that you're going to have to create, like you said, 30 to get the two. So it's
0: knowing your audience, knowing your story, having that connection. And the unfair advantage there is really you need to share that passion. You need to be your own yes. customer avatar, which in this case you were. How does someone go about building that, that brand story, extending this, this metaphor?
1: I mean, I, I tend to encourage people to ask three main questions, which is like, why, what, and who, and they're not, they're in no real particular order, but like, you know, really understanding why the brand exists is, is such a huge underlying question to ask for anybody that's, you know, building an e-commerce brand. You know, if you can't answer the question, like, why are you, why should I buy from you and, and someone else? Like, why are you building this product and not something else? Like what's the mission of the business? And it's fine. Like if you're listening and you're just starting out or you're doing something like drop shipping and you don't have a why or whatever, that's fine. Like, again, this is kind of a circular process. It's nonlinear and you get like deeper and deeper. And I can share stories of how we created deeper whys within the business and it fueled us and changed the messaging and the marketing, but really understanding why you exist and having a clear mission. Like we exist as a company to fix this problem, Right then when you ask that, then you can come and circle into like the next kind of question, which is what, and what is like, you know, how are you fixing that problem for them? You have to have a good product. You have to have something that like actually works. And I think what people fail to look into, and again, like whenever I say when someone fails, it's because I've failed at it before nine times out of 10, probably 10 times out of 10, but is, is understanding what it is you're truly selling. And I'm a huge Seth Godin fan. And, um, I think in his latest book, this is marketing. There's a really famous saying of like people don't want a quarter inch drill bit, they want a quarter inch hole. And he takes it a step further, which is, you know, they actually want uh, to be able to hang a shelf with that hole on the wall and be able to use the shelf. Actually, they want to hang it because their wife's been asking them to do it, and finally the wife comes home and is like, oh, honey, you hung that. Thank you so much. Like, so they want that actualization, right? So. It's going deeper and deeper into like what it is you're actually selling because those are the real buying triggers. And this just isn't isn't just in e-commerce. This is in every business, right? So it's like what is the emotional reaction you want someone to have when they're using your product or when they see your video? And that's where those real like subliminal triggers really anchor in of like, hey, I want to try this or hey, I want to share this or.
0: By far one of the most important things a merchant can do for their business is this customer development. We have consistently seen it. Uh, really empower and significantly improve marketing and the understanding of the business and co- even confidence of the the business owner. What Do you have any uh, recommended resources for someone to like, I want to do that, now what?
1: I find a lot of times like getting that sort of feedback um, is really good if it's informal and if you go in without expectations. And that said, again, I'm always learning. If anybody listening to this has a great tool that I can implement, Um, I'm happy to hear about that. But for me, it's like the personal touch really goes a long way. And like actually hearing people's voices and, um, you know, surveys are great, but it's really easy to, you know, give unspecific answers in a survey. It's a lot harder to, you know, to lie to someone's face or or, or to their voice rather and and not give honest feedback if you honestly want it. No,
0: absolutely. Uh, We're coming to the end of our time together, but I would love to know some of your advice on on scaling of working on your business as opposed to in it, because you did something incredible, growing from from zero to ten million in twelve months is just tremendous. One of the most common complaints, not complaints, one of the most common uh, concerns pains problems I hear for people is you know I, I feel overwhelmed, so what should someone do when it seems like they just don 't have enough hours in the day?
1: Well, first of all, give yourself a break um, every every organization faces you know, limited resources, limited time, limited cash. And there are various points, especially in the beginning where you're going to be wearing a ton of hats, right? So I recommend a couple of things, which is to, is a, to really try and look at the big picture and how all these various pieces put together. And I kind of lay it out as there's like 15 foundations in a business, everything from, you know, manufacturing to fulfillment to finance, like, really to understand the big picture and take some time to learn more about those things. And and that could even be as like issues come up and blind spots come out, but seeing the big picture will allow you to, especially in the future as more resources become available, put that hat on the right person. And you know, one of the big things that I try to encourage people to do is to try and look at what they do every day in their business and what their team is doing every day in their business. Right. And just taking an inventory of where you're spending your time. Because if you do that for, even for like 2 or 3 weeks, right? And just kind of keeping like loose notes. You'll start to identify these areas of like this this kind of like when I do this on Tuesday, this on Wednesday, that kind of looks like a role that I could hire someone for. And I get it again like if you're if you're cash strapped, you kind of have to do that in the beginning, but there are amazing services and amazing like virtual assistants and various people you can find that can take some of those jobs, especially the ones that you hate doing that are draining your soul and your, your fire for the business, those are the ones you should try and get off your plate right away. And how you do that is by creating documentation around these processes in your business. And everything you do in your business, whether you do it once or you do it you know, 100 times a day, is a process, right? It's either conscious or unconscious. So taking this inventory of what you're doing also then allows you to see like, oh, so I'm doing this thing three times a week or my teammates doing this thing five times a week. Like, what's our process on, like, how we do that? So if I do need to bring someone on and train them, I can say, here here's all my notes on how this job is done, and I would invite you to look at them critically, and I would invite you to uh, give suggestions on how you might be able to do that. Or maybe there's this, you know, a particular piece of software that would save you those couple hours, right? So – it's a about like really understanding the big picture and, and again, giving yourself some slack because I've juggled and worn so many different hats and it sucks and I know it does, but like taking a deep breath and going, cool, this is why I'm doing this. I know what I have a special. I want to learn about the big picture and get good at business because there are no shortcuts, but get, get a really good understanding of this so I can understand who's going to run in those lanes. And then B, what am I doing right now inside the business that I can do better or that I can hand off to somebody else? And creating documentation, and documentation is never perfect, but you know some big areas are like you know customer service, right? If you have, say, you know a, a team working with you, or if you're doing it yourself, if you start to create like, hey, here are the answers I would give to the most frequently asked questions. Oh crap, people are asking these a lot. I should put those frequently asked questions a little closer to where they're checking out, or whatever it might be, and try and answer those because they're I, identifying gaps in the understanding of the offer, which can increase your conversion rate, all sorts of stuff. Right. So like, again, you can kind of see how all this is linked, but customer service is a big one because it also carries over into things like what if somebody needs to have a product reshipped? What's the procedure for that? What if they need a refund? What's the procedure for that? So you start to look at how all these systems are built together and intertwined. And then you can, like bring somebody on and onboard someone very quickly without spending too much time and money training them and saying hey here's what you do to own this area of the business and you know customer service is a big one because it it's it's a really important one because that's the contact going back to what we were talking about earlier the contact that your brand has with people and it's very important so make sure that there are important instructions on how you talk to that person and the information you're trying to get from them right so um, yeah, I think again, just circle back is is a getting the big picture and B just being um, I think you know really rigorous at writing down what you're doing, looking at it with a critical eye, and then finding ways to get that off your plate because you should be the one building the team, driving the brand forward, working on the big partnerships, whatever it is that are those big levers. You need to be pulling those instead of like the little tiny ones that are just kind of keeping you afloat.
0: So by I- phenomenal advice first of all but uh number 1 don't be so hard on yourself two inventory your time three prioritize your time then uh create standard operating procedures around to everything and then that way you can delegate yeah. and delegate could take the form of software automation a virtual assistant a remote worker yeah. contract whatever it is so that you aren't thinking about it it's not stressing you out anymore absolutely okay uh Couple follow up questions, and then we will wrap it up. The you mentioned toxic lottery mentality a couple times. I thought that was interesting. Uh, briefly, tell me what that is. How do I recognize it and avoid it?
1: Yeah, I mean, this has permeated both my personal and professional life. Is kind of this um, this idea that um, when I get to this point, things will be this right? And it's like kind of like time travel. You're living in the future. We're living in the past, but you know. Anyone that's done something really significant in business and built a great business uh, will tell you that, you know, there there are no, like, overnight success stories. Like, even with Beard Club, we did really well really quick. We had companies that failed before that. We have learned all these lessons. So, yeah, we were an overnight success after having learned all those. Um, but it's really, like, it's difficult to stay inside the journey, especially going back to what we were talking about before, when the journey kind of sucks some days. And it really does, and it's really hard, right? But – it's really important to, to be able to look at the future, but also like understand that putting the work in now is what's going to get you there. And I kind of use the analogy. It's like, it's like being you know, a rock star. If you're playing in front of a couple hundred people versus a couple hundred thousand people at like a festival, the only way you're going to get from A to B is by focusing on your art. Right? And your team looks different if you're playing stadium shows than it would if you're just like, you know, solo gigging at a restaurant. right? So you know, being in that mentality of being a rock star right now is what's super empowering and super important that gets you to the end goal, right? And I guess like the the sort of lottery component about it is like we're all entrepreneurs that have shiny object syndrome and we all would like to believe that there is, you know, a piece of software or a celebrity shout out or whatever that's going to absolutely change the game for us. And although that might be true to some extent and you might see, you know, a lot of time saved or you might get a ton more sales, at the end of the day it's, you know, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, right? it's it's just super important that you try and catch yourself when you're thinking again going back to the, the rockstar analogy you know you're not gonna buy a guitar that's better than the one you have now and all of a sudden you're in that stadium playing that show right so it's it's understanding that those can be useful but it's kind of limiting the mentality that this is the absolute game changer right otherwise you end up going in a hundred different directions and you're not executing them well you're not prioritizing well so I mean, it's about kind of like guarding yourself from that instinct that we all have to go in those million directions.
0: Right, you end up, you find yourself, when you suffer, I call it entrepreneurial ADD, when you look back at what you did that quarter, or that year, or even that day, you find, oh geez, I went an inch in every direction instead of a mile (laughs) forward.
1: Absolutely, yep.
0: Two more quick ones. Is, you had a lot of early success with influencer marketing. Is that still a viable uh, marketing channel today?
1: So I believe it is for sure. I think that, again, if you get away from the mentality of like looking for those one big shout outs that are going to change the game for you, it's a lot more, A, it's a lot more risky because those people are typically a lot more expensive. Uh, The people that I talk to now that do really well with influencer marketing and some brilliant marketers who built amazing brands with it will tell you again to go back to that sort of long term view of things, right? It's about working or partnering with someone that's a really good fit that loves your product and that wants to talk about it again and again and again. Because if somebody has an affinity for an influencer a person, a celebrity, whatever they, you know, they trust that person. They want to see that person trust that product. So like, you know, they can see through, there's so many shout outs now they can see through that as a one off. But if someone that they like, know, and trust, and this goes beyond just big influencers or small influencers, if that's, this is a family member that you see posting about a product, those are really important influencers, right? Cause that's an easy, like, know and trust connection. But if you see somebody that fits those criteria that like you really trust and you follow and they're using it again and again, I think that's where the big victories come in. And, you know, I think just getting away again from that sort of lottery mentality is a really healthy thing to do in the space of influencer marketing and just, you know, not being afraid to, to get somebody, whether it's a VA or whatever, to do some of the grunt work of the micro influencers and really find like that solid nucleus of customers that grows and grows, and you know, in parallel of course, test out somebody that's bigger with a longer relationship, but just kind of working both sides of getting product into people's hands, getting them to use it, getting them to love it, taking that feedback, creating messaging for it. Like, that takes a lot longer and it's a lot less sexy, but that's really what building a long-term, successful brand is, is, is getting people to come back again and again, and getting people to love your product.
0: Absolutely. So final business question for you here. What is the single one most important thing that entrepreneurs should be doing when building their e-commerce business?
1: This is the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, I think that right now is, is a really interesting time to live in. I think it's the best time to live in. It's also a very challenging time. Um, and there's a lot of like negative things that you see in the media. There's like some serious environmental challenges that we're facing, you know, Um, there's a lot going on in this planet right now that needs to change. So I believe the biggest brands of the next few years that are going to be built are ones that are aligned with messages of bringing people together and not dividing them apart and building bridges that are companies that are treating their employees, the environment and the social like political climate favorably instead of just breaking people down and trying to sell more stuff. So I think like I'm geeking out completely right now on sort of like sustainability and the brands that are coming out. I don't know if you've heard of evolved enterprise, a book by Yannick silver. No, I would highly recommend it. It's really about, you know, how brands that like Patagonia and all these sort of iconic ones, but in Tom's and stuff, like how they're building business models that like serve the world more than just create a profit. That's a really easy story to tell. And we circle back to the brand stuff. Like, a brand is just really a great story that you're able to tell people and then they're able to tell each other, right? And these brands that are creating these stories with positive messages that are bringing people together, that are treating the environment and the people on the world better, that is the future of building brands. And th- that will be the only future of building brands, I think, within the next five years if you don't pay attention to those things and you're not a company that's promoting um you know, just those messages and believes in those things, you're going to find it extremely hard to compete. So I think that that's the biggest opportunity for people right now is to get connected with, um, you know, better messages, better products, and better ways to do business because we need to change a lot of things right now, and we will. And I think that we're an important part of the universe experiencing itself, and uh, I think we're going to figure out a lot of these problems. And the people listening to this, you're going to play a role in it, whether you like it or not. (laughs) I love
0: it. I absolutely love it. Where could people go? go to learn more about you?
1: Um, probably just follow my, my Facebook page as e-commerce rockstars. That's kind of going back to that analogy. Um, so Facebook or Instagram, e-commerce rockstars. And I try and put out some good content and some good free training to help people build better businesses. And that's probably the best spot. And reach out if you have any questions on anything i said today or you want to go deeper. I'm always happy to help people no matter where you're at with your journey. Uh, just shoot me a message and uh, we can chat. Fabulous.
0: Man, thank you so much, Alex. This has been great.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: It's been fun. One last thing. If you're new to e-commerce, you're probably thinking what we all were in the early days. Where the heck do I start? Product photography? Discount codes? A logo? Thankfully, there's a simple answer. Start with your theme. Your Shopify theme is your online storefront. Picking the right theme influences the way your store looks, how it works, how easy it is for visitors to see your brand's value. And that's what makes or breaks your conversion rate with nearly a decade of experience building beautiful, performant themes. My friends at Out of the Sandbox are experts in knowing what it takes to make your store a success. From the unmatched speed of Turbo to the endless customization possibilities of Flex, their themes are designed to look great and, more importantly, help you sell more. Whether you want to upgrade your existing theme or launch a brand new online store, Out of the Sandbox has a theme for you. Visit outofthesandbox.com and use promo code KURT20 for 20% off their best-selling themes, Flex and Turbo. Go to outofthesandbox.com slash unofficial, promo code KURT20 for 20% off Flex and Turbo. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe up over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including links to sites we discussed, and maybe some details you missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors. So please support our show by supporting them. And thank you. The Unofficial Shopify Podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at EtherCycle.com. Thanks for listening. The Unofficial Shopify Podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC.